You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. What up, Mill Sunday School? Woo! Hey, I am not Joe Kirkendall. Uh, I am Aaron Higgins. Uh, Joe is uh, on vacation uh, this this week, so uh, uh, he will listen in on the podcast and uh, uh, enjoy the sermon with us. Hey, uh, just a couple of announcements uh, on the middle of your table. If you are new here for the very first time, go ahead and fill out that visitor's card. Turn it into the table in the back of the room, and uh, they'll give you a gift bag in exchange for that card. Also, a couple of announcements. Uh, next Sunday, uh, we are going to be having a hot breakfast. Uh, so hot breakfasts are always a, a big deal. This time around, however, we are asking for a suggested donation of $3. Uh, and we're asking that because the money is going to go to uh, a team that's uh, going out to other local missions, so homeless shelters and things like that here in the state of Colorado, to find out what they're doing and maybe uh, incorporate that into what we do here with local missions here at New Life Church. Um, so be sure to tell your friends. I know it's a little short notice. Uh, we usually drum this up for several weeks, but uh, hot breakfast next Sunday, $3 suggested donation. Uh, thanks. So, and then another announcement, too, is we are looking for uh, more Sunday school leaders. Um, if you've ever thought about uh, serving with the mill, uh, we are actively looking for people to uh, help us tear down. Uh, we're perfectly fine with our setup team, uh, but we need some people to help stay behind and tear down a little bit. If you're curious about what we do uh, as leadership, uh, feel free to find me afterwards. I'll gladly tell you about it. There's also applications at the back table. So today we have a special guest speaker. Uh, he's the group's pastor here at New Life Church. Uh, so without much further introduction, Greg Hampton. What's up, guys? How you doing? Yeah? You guys miss Joe yet? I mean, how often do you get to see him, really? I miss Joe. I, I feel like I, I have to get Joe back in some way. I, I'm going to have to prank him or something. I know he's going to listen to this. I'm not going to tell him what I'm going to do. But if you were handed a note-taking guide today, he decided to put a picture of me from a few years back on the front of that guide. Um, I'm willing to give awards at the end for the most interesting um, change to this. If you guys want to draw something on it, make me more attractive, maybe uh, draw my glasses on there since I don't have them on in this picture. Um, I would actually be really interested in seeing some of your creations at the end of this time. Um, the last time I was here, I talked about, uh, what, soteriology. And this time we're in uh, ecclesiology. And I, I was going to talk about denominations today, about how there are literally hundreds of denominations, and yet there are core things that connect us. Uh, but the week before last, uh, someone that uh, really had had a huge impact on my life, had passed away. Uh, his name was Brennan Manning. Have you guys, you guys know who Brennan Manning was? Uh, he was an author. He talked about grace and about love and about um, understanding who God truly was, that um, sometimes the rules and the laws that we make for ourselves actually keep us from really knowing who, who we are in him. And so that began really changing as I started studying to talk about ecclesiology, started to change what I wanted to say. Uh, and so today, I want to talk about the aspect of ecclesiology that speaks to where does community begin? If we are a community and if we are supposed to be a community of believers that are calling people into Christ, 
where does community actually begin? Because the church is a community. It's a specific kind of community. It's not, it's not a health club. It's not a, it's not a, a cul-de-sac. It's, it's not a nation. It's a specific kind of community. And I want to talk today about the question of where does that begin? Specifically, where does that begin for someone that is not yet a part of our church or community? And so I know that last week that Joe read this, the scripture from, from Hebrews that talks about let us not uh, delay or let us not stop meeting together. But today I want to read from John 17, chapter, uh, 17 14 through 21. And if you guys want to turn there, I'm gonna, we're going to have a lot of scripture that we look at today. So the first one is John 17, 14 through 21. And I'm going to do my best to read these passages from from a physical Bible as well, so that it gives you guys time to turn as I turn, okay? So John 17, 14 through 21 says this. I've given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They are not part of the world any more than I am. Make them pure and holy by teaching them your words of truth. As you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself entirely to you so they also might be entirely yours. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. My prayer for all of them is that they will be one, just as you and I are one, Father. That just as you are in me and I am in you, so they will be in us and the world will believe you sent me. Let's pray. God, 2,000 years ago, your son Jesus Christ prayed that the people sitting in this room would be one. That we would abide in you the same way that you abide in each other. I pray that this is the beginning, the platform on which we stand on as we ask the question, where does community begin? I pray that anything that is worth remembering that comes out of our mouths today would be remembered, and anything that is just filler will be forgotten. Bless our conversation. Amen. Okay, so right now in 2013, where does community begin for the church, okay? So in the early church, before Constantine, the process of truly be, being considered a Christian really became an extensive process. It became an extensive process because of persecution. It became an extensive process because basically people were trying to infiltrate the Christian communities and trying to find out more about what it was about, and they were being persecuted, and so they had to be very careful about who they let all the way in. And matter of fact, for those who didn't make it all the way in yet, if they had been martyred in the name of Jesus before that point came, they were actually given a ba- basically a posthumous acceptance into the body of Christ. According to the believers, they would have been considered, oh, they were a real believer. They were true. That, that was, man, we should have let that guy in a little sooner. He was good. Now, after Constantine, the process was still very long. 
I mean, by the time of Constantine, we have um, a, quite a bit of, of church organization that's coming about. And so now, you really still weren't even considered, and in some churches even today, you still weren't even considered a part of the true Christian community until after your communion, your first communion, and until after your baptism. And so what I want us to begin with at our tables, especially this long, snaky table right here, it's going to be very interesting to see how you guys interact with each other. Um, I was telling them earlier, it's kind of like very inclusive, yet very exclusive at the same time. And you've got five tables together. It's, anyway. All right, so let's move on. So at your tables, even if it's a very long table, I want you to discuss this question, all right? Today, in 2013, to be a part of the church, what does it require? Okay? I mean, the early church would have said, you know, you're not really part of the church until you've been baptized and taken First Communion. And that came after a couple years of a process. So let's talk today, for right now, what does that look like? Ready, set, go. All right, so... Unless you guys have a super, super long list, that probably was enough time. Oh, we're going to have a microphone go around. Raise your hand if you have something that you think belong. I'm going to write it on the board up here. Things that are required to be part of Christian community. Raise your hand. He'll bring the mic. Now, is this technically two from the same table? <laughs> no, we, we split it. Okay, just checking. Jesus. Okay, so Jesus, right? Jesus? Well, just simply that Jesus um, is the Christ and serve him, like, make Jesus your Lord is required. Making him, okay, so a decision regarding Jesus. Okay. Over here. Uh, fellowship. You can't just come to church and not talk to anybody. Okay. Well, the belief that the Bible is the Word of God. Okay, the Bible is true. Okay, what else? I heard a lot of talking. I mean, I can't imagine that I asked you to talk about something specific and then you guys didn't talk about that, right? <laughs> How about a few more? A few more. Anybody? Over here? Grace for those outside the church. Okay. Grace for outsiders. Who else? Anybody? I think relationship is really important, and not only being Christ to outside of the church, but also being Christ to who is in the church. Um, like babysitting someone's kids or giving financial help, things like that. Okay. So how would we say that in two words? Relationship, it also sounds a little bit like relationship uh, that is, that's active, that is un, unselfish, okay? Uh, taking care of the widows and orphans. Okay. All right, so I know that last week Joe gave you guys four things that he believed that the church does, right? Social justice... Worship, fellowship, things like that. All right, so we're going to go back to our tables, but I have something I want you guys to discuss. I want you to look at this list, all right? And 
I'm going to give you three words. And as a table, I want you to debate amongst yourselves, especially this table back here with only one person at it. I would really love for you to really argue with yourself about this. About the order that these words belong for the church, okay? So the words are believe, uh, become, and belong. I want you guys to discuss. All right, so we've already said to be a part of the Christian community, you need Jesus, decide that he's your Lord, fellowship, believe that the Bible is true, uh, take care of the widows and orphans, have a relationship that is active and unselfish, have grace for both insiders and outsiders. All right, so now I want you to take these three words and, and think about the church inviting someone into the Christian community. What order do these belong? Does, does someone believe certain things first? Do they become first? Do they just belong first without any strings attached? How do we order these things when it comes to you're going to, someone's going to become a part of the mill. What has to come first? What comes second? What comes third? Believe, become, and belong. Ready, set, go. All right. So, in this room... Who believes that uh, believe comes first? All right. One of you, I want one of you to grab the microphone and explain why you believe that believing belongs first, other than the fact that I wrote it first on the board. So can I stand up? Um, well, my understanding is... Um, to believe first, then you become sanctified with Jesus, and then you're alive in Christ. Before that time, you're not alive in Christ, and you're able to invite people in, and, like, they're invited, but they're not in God's family. They are not sons of God. Okay. They are enemies of God, so. Okay. Um, All right. Does anybody else want to defend the idea that believing comes first? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller. All right, who... Okay, right here. It's like, I'll, I'll add something to that. Uh, just that one. Okay. Why would right. you think that comes first? So, um, I'm a Cardinals fan. This is just an analogy here. St. Louis Cardinals baseball. Okay, I'm a Cubs it's fan. The best, it's the best baseball in the world. Um, you first have to, like, believe in the Cardinals before you belong to the Cardinals nation, and then you become the Cardinals nation. So that's just the best way I, re I relate it. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. We got one more in the back. So I believe that belong comes first. Like you have to come to church, and then you have to believe in God, and then you have to. What was the other one? Become uh, a Christian. So all right, all right, all right. So you're jumping ahead is what you're saying. You're going to jump ahead and say that belong should come first? Is that what you're saying? Well, is there anybody that thinks that become actually belongs first? That becoming something like God comes first? Anybody? I mean, even if you take into account the idea that every single one of us in this room, every single person in the world 
carries with them the Imago Dei, the image of God, that something like them already is like God? No? No one will jump on that one? Maybe it's possible? Okay. All right. Then who would like to defend the idea that belong is actually what comes first? We've got a few at the long table. Quite a few at the long table. They're a very lively bunch. (laughs) So I believe that everyone belongs in God's family. And then, well, can I go off of that? Yeah. Okay. So then you believe that you belong in God's family, and then you become the identity that's already set out for you. Okay. All right. Who else? Why do you think belong is first? To kind of play off what um, she just said, uh, I consider it almost to be like an adoption, where even though you're not fully legally part of the family, you, or you may not be you know, fully legally part of the family, you're still part of that family. And until the paperwork is done, then you become part of that family. Okay. So there's, there's still that feeling of belongingness that is still there, even though you're not fully part of the family. Okay. So almost like maybe, maybe the church acts as a foster family for a little while. Okay. I guess um, with me, like, we're all made in the image of God, but some people think that, oh, well, I have to be this way to go to church, or I don't belong because I'm not living for Christ, or they think they have to be a certain, act a certain way to fit in. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is what we're going to do. I want you to keep those three words in your mind, and I actually have one more table discussion for you guys to do, but now we're actually going to have specific scriptures that you guys are going to have to read first and then ask the same question again. What order do these belong in? All right, so let's see. Everybody over here down this against this wall, I'm going to have you guys, you read John 13, 34 through 35. John 13, 34 35, ask yourself the question, what order would those belong in based on that scripture? All right? The long table, I'm going to give you uh, Luke 15, 20 through 32. Luke 15, 20 through 32. Everybody else behind the long table and over here to the left, on the left side, um, well, your right side of the room, I'm going to give you Mark 5. 24 through 34, Mark 5, 24 through 34. All right, this whole row straight back here. I'm giving you Matthew 14, 15 through 21. Matthew 14, 15 through 21. And then everybody else over here, I'm giving you Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Matthew 22, 1 through 14. Read the scripture together. Ask yourselves the same question. What order would you put these words in? What goes first? Ready, set, go. All right, everybody. I need... Okay, so someone from over here, someone from each section, I need you to be ready to say what your passage of Scripture was about and what word you think that passage would put first. All right? All right, so who has the microphone? All right, let's try and go in order, actually. Someone from the left side, 
from uh, John 13, 34 through 35. And I have a lot of pay. Oh, yeah, that's, you, were, you, you joined that one. Okay, so ours was John 13, 34, 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other as I've loved you. Uh, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So we decided that belong would go first. Okay. All right, Luke 15, 20 through 32. Who had that? These guys right here. This whole, the very, very talkative table, not one hand is raised all of a sudden. We had Luke 15, 21 through 32. And what is that story? Yeah. Um, it's about the son who, uh, he ran off, but then he uh, came back, and the father killed the fattened calf. The other son got jealous, and he said, why are you jealous? You've, I've, you've always been with me. He was lost, but now he's found. So we put belong first, because even he didn't think he, even though he didn't believe he belonged, um, the father still kind of had him as part of the family. Yeah. So. All right, so in the back... Mark 5, 24 through 34. That was actually my table. Okay. Uh, hey, hello. You've been carrying a, that mic around a lot. If you'd like to take the advantage to talk, you go right ahead. <laughs> so it, it's, it's about the woman who's bleeding, and she touches Jesus' uh, garment, and she's instantly healed. Uh, we put uh, belong first because she was a part of the crowd, uh, which was wanting to uh, belong with Jesus, uh, believe, um, we put second because she believed she had faith, uh, that he would heal her and then, uh, become because she became healed. She became part of the body. All right. Next one, Matthew 14, this whole row right here, Matthew 14, 15 through 21. Not everyone all at the same time. What was your story about? So our story was Matthew fourteen fifteen through 21. And it's about when Jesus fed the 5,000 people. And we came to the conclusion that everybody was there because they thought they belonged there. But maybe not everybody thought that. They all just wanted to see what was going on. But some people thought they belonged there. And... Then they believed what Jesus said and probably became part of the family. But not necessarily everybody, but some people. Yeah, not necessarily everybody. I mean, a lot of the stories that we hear about in the scripture, like this, Pharisees were present. And they definitely didn't feel like they belonged. All right, so last, Matthew 22, 1 through 14, a representative right here. Ready, set, raise your hand. Ready, set, raise your hand. Man, it's not working. So what I'm learning here is that this side of the room is where all the introverts sit. <laughs> probably because, that's probably, I imagine Joe does this too. We end up standing on this side half the time, don't we, when we, when we talk. And so do you guys just feel neglected? Listen, I want to apologize from the bottom of my heart. It's just there's this huge speaker right here in my way. Okay, so um, our verse was Matthew 22, 1 through 14, I believe. Um, and 
it was um, a parable that Jesus was uh, was uh, telling, and it was about the king who um, had his banquet, wedding banquet for his son, and um, told his servants to tell all the people that he had invited to come, and um, no one came, and so he sent them out again just to invite anybody, mm. and. Um, we thought that it was in that order, but we're now <laughs> questioning if we were right. So your order is changing. <laughs> what? So you had a, you in didn't have belong believe, first. Believe become belong, yeah. And now it's changing for you. Yes. <laughs> wow. All right. So let me let me read two two passages to you guys as well. Okay. If you want to turn to Ephesians. We're going to do chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so very much that even while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's special favor that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms, all because we are one with Christ Jesus. And so God can always point to us as examples of the incredible wealth of his favor and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us through Christ Jesus. God saved you by his special favor when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So we look at this board, the things that, that we wrote. What does it mean? What does it require to be a part of the Christian community? And, and we said a decision, a decision for the Lord, right? And we said fellowship, that the Bible is true. Take care of the widows and orphans. Relationship, active, unselfish, grace for outsiders. Well, now let's read this next scripture. Let's move to 2 Corinthians 5. We do 13 through 19. 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 19. If it seems that we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for your benefit. Whatever we do, it is because Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we have all died to the old self we used to live. And he, for these next couple of verses, he's talking about people that are in the community that have accepted, that they've done all three of these steps. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they will live to please Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others by what the world thinks about them. Now all of a sudden we've had this shift, right? He's saying those of us that are in the community, this is what we know is true. And then he makes this shift to the way that we look outside. So we have stopped evaluating others by what the world thinks about them. Once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way, as though he were merely a human being. How differently I think about him now. What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore. 
For the old life is gone, and new life has begun. All this newness of life is from God, who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And God has given us the task of reconciling people. He says, those of us who are in now have this task that is directed to those that are, quote-unquote, out. And he ends it by saying this, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message he has given us to tell others. You know, there was a study done a few years ago amongst youth ministry, amongst teens, to discover what they really believed it meant to be a Christian. They came up with a three-word phrase that defines what the majority of young people in our country began thinking Christianity was. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. You guys ever heard that before? Moralistic. The idea that being a part of the Christian community, being a part of Christ, all, it's just behavior modification. It's just getting people to change the way that they act. It's about having better morals. It's therapeutic because eventually it'll make me feel better about myself. And it's deistic because deism is this idea that God may have made all of this. He may have set it into motion. But he's far off, and he's really not that interested anymore. And so all this Christian community is supposed to be is about changing the way people act and helping them be happy. Making their relationships active and unselfish. Getting them to care for widows and orphans. Getting them to believe that the Bible is true. Helping them to a place where they believe that fellowship, interacting with others is important. Changing their attitude towards those that are on the outside. This is what's hard about it, is that that all of those things are true. All of those things are things that are part of who the Christian community is. But the question is, are those things that we are to do together as Christ brings us together as the body of Christ? Or are those things that every single person has to do in order to be in the body of Christ? After we've read all these scriptures, every one of us came back to the place that, wow, now that I've... On purpose, every story I had you guys read, on purpose, was a story that involved Jesus and the way that he reacted, responded, interacted with those that were around him that others said didn't belong. And Jesus is our benchmark, right? Jesus is our level. I, I believe 100% of myself that something about being a Christian will be measured. When, when, when we die, when we stand before the Lord, he's going to measure something, okay? The question is, is how do we measure that here? We, we have a very much of a society that is you must be this tall to ride the ride, right? How many of you guys remember going to, to Great America or something as a kid? And oh my gosh, you're right? I mean, and, and for, I'm, I'm one of those guys, I grew like two or three inches after high school. 
So think about all the things, you know, like you, you grow up, you didn't quite sprout up as quickly as everybody else, and you're standing in line, you're standing in line, and you're hoping that, you know, when you get up there and you kind of just like stand next to the thing with your heels up, you're hoping that the guy won't notice and he'll just, he'll let you on the ride. That they won't say you have to be this tall. And this is, this is this where we become. Is this what we become and where we begin to go? That you have to be this tall to ride. I think something will be measured. The question is, is how are we supposed to be in this life? One of the stories that, that I had you guys read over here was the story of the wedding feast. And to me, this is one of, this is one of my favorite parables of all. Because Jesus describes, he says, in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to this. A king is throwing a wedding feast for his son. And so they go out and they invite all the people that were expected to be invited. And they all came up with reasons why they couldn't go. And then the king says, well, those who were quote unquote worthy chose not to come. And so go out into the streets and invite Anybody and everybody, and the words literally say, both good and bad. The Bible says, go invite both good and bad to a wedding feast for the king's son. Who in here grasps that in ourselves, in our daily life? Man, I don't. I'm not there. I don't have it. I don't have it figured out. But this is the God that we look at. You know, ecclesiology comes from the word ecclesia. The word church comes from the word ecclesia. It doesn't mean, you know, uh, a 9 a.m. service on Sunday morning. What it means is the called out ones. When we read the wedding of the feast, what do we see the servants doing? They go and they call. And at the end, the king comes in and he sees one that wasn't wearing a wedding garment. Now, if I invited that person, I didn't tell that person they needed a wedding garment to come in. At least that isn't explicit or implicit inside that story as far as we can tell. But the king comes in sees the person not wearing a wedding garment and says, I'm sorry, at this point, you don't belong. But up to that point, both good and bad were invited. So the question is, for us, are we the inviters and the invitees, or are we trying to play the role of the king? So if there are things that will be measured, this is... This is a level that was in my grandfather's garage. And my grandfather, he didn't live a life for God. He was, he was bigoted. Uh, he was mean. You know, as a kid, I thought he was great. Because I was a kid and I only saw the best parts of Grandpa. But then I grew up and I learned of his faults. I learned of 
is poor parenting. I learned of his sins. My grandfather's last couple years, he, he got dementia. He would get up in the morning and get ready for a job he hadn't had in 30 years. He would drive home and park his big blue truck on, on his hill and go in the house. And the truck would roll down the hill and hit somebody's car. And eventually, my, my grandfather always had some kind of beard. And he was, he was bald on top. And so every time I would bring a girlfriend home or to visit him or to meet him, he'd, he'd, he'd comment on her long hair and say, hey, if you're ever going to get a haircut, I could use some of that. And one of the last times I ever saw him, he was in a, he was in a home to help take care of him with his dementia. And they had shaved off his beard. He had had a stroke in the early 80s, and so he had actually lost all feeling since then. You'd have to tell him when to eat because he'd just say he wasn't hungry because he didn't know he was hungry. And so he couldn't feel the rot that was happening in his mouth from 50 years of smoking cigars. But he gets dementia and all of a sudden he quits smoking cigars because somehow his mind was reverted to before that. So they pull all of his teeth. They took away all of his bite. And he, had, he was an Irishman. These bright blue eyes. And by this time, I was old enough to realize that my grandfather wasn't a Christian. They wasn't a prayer, wasn't a tither, didn't sit in the pew. He had not loved well. But now he was humbled. And I said to him, and he couldn't speak very well anymore. I said to him, Grandpa, do you know God? And he looked at me in this childish state that he had entered. He said, yeah, I know God. He said, I talk to him every day. He says, we don't speak the same language. But I understand every word he says. In this life, we like things to be level. We like the bubble to land right in the middle. We look at a ruler left to right, or should I say, right to wrong. What if God doesn't look at it the way that we look at it, like this? As we take our ruler and we put the things that we think are required of Christian community across that ruler, across that level, and try to balance it and try to measure it, what if God doesn't look at it like this, but he looks at it like this? What if he looks at it straight on? What if the thing he looks for is the very first thing of did you accept the invitation? 
What if it's a question of moving straight, even if it's only been one step, then it's about having 12 and reaching the end of the ruler. I think when we look at the parable of the wedding feast, we see this. Because for us, we're called to invite. For us, the called out ones, we are called to call. To invite to the wedding feast. And then, when the king comes, he'll be the one to sort it out. He'll be the one to pick it up and see if it's true. I want to close with one more story from the Bible. Some people call this the parable of the crazy farmer. It's Matthew 20. And Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of an estate who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. At noon, and again around three o'clock, he did the same. At 5 o'clock that evening, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The owner of the estate told them, then go on out. Join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired earlier came to get paid, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested. Those people worked only one hour. And yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us. Who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friends, I haven't been unfair Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take it and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be angry because I am kind? And so it is that many who are first now will be last then. And those who are last now will be first then. There's a quote from Brennan Manning who says, Suffering, failure, loneliness, sorrow, discouragement, and death will be a part of your journey. But the kingdom of God will conquer all these horrors. No evil can resist grace forever. Guys, where does community start? It starts with Jesus. You're right. It doesn't start with believing in Jesus. It starts with an invitation from Jesus. The reality is that in this room, a certain percentage of us are at this place. We don't meet any of these expectations, yet we have received the invitation.
we've stepped in, stepped forward, been called out. And we begin to trust that none of us could resist grace forever. So as we move forward, as we leave this place, as we go back to our daily lives, let's be crazy farmers. Let's be crazy farmers that really begin to believe that maybe the reason that someone is standing around still at the 5 o'clock hour hasn't gotten a job yet, hasn't done this, hasn't done that. Maybe it's because of all the horrors of this life. And we are the ones that believe that they won't persist forever. We believe that the love of the kingdom of God is what actually overwhelms them. And that we believe that none of us, none of our friends, and none of the people that are not yet, quote-unquote, a part of our community can resist grace forever. Amen? Let's pray. God, I pray that we would believe that you love us in the dirt and when we're clean. When we're broken and at the height of when we feel put together. You love us when we feel like our feet are firmly planted as well as when we feel we're at the end of our rope. And then I pray that you burst onto our hearts the realization that you feel the same exact thing for all of those not yet a part of your community. That even while we were yet sinners, God, that you were in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to yourself, not counting their sins against them. Make us a people of grace. Make us a people of love. Make us crazy farmers. Make us people that are simply inviting people to a wedding feast. God, I pray... In the name of Jesus, that none of us, no one we ever come in contact with, will be able to resist grace forever. Amen. Thanks for coming today, guys. Hope you're able to walk in some of this stuff. Appreciate your time. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.